0: and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you too can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur.
1: This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today as we talk about your corporation, your success. We have got some amazing corporate executives that have done such incredible things in this world, and I just wanted to inspire you for where your company can go. No matter how humble the beginnings, no matter how it may feel in the beginning, there is so much more that is out there and available and ready waiting for you to do the thing that only you can do to make the difference that that idea in your head has and will make the difference in this world, to watch it then bloom and grow and thrive. I just wanted to bring these amazing individuals to you to help you be able to really see no matter where you are in your business journey, your corporation, and your success as you live as a thriving entrepreneur. Let's jump into it. Join me in welcoming Alan McKim. Hey, Alan, how you doing today?
2: I'm great. How are you, Steve?
1: I'm doing really well, Thanks. So tell us first a little bit about you and how you show up in the world.
2: Um, Well, I've been uh, an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, Early on when I uh, started Clean Harbors at 24, I had some experiences, you know, with some other businesses and uh, decided that uh, I wanted to go and and, uh, be on my own and uh, start my own company. And uh, that's sort of how I got my beginnings here at Clean Harbors.
1: And you wrote a book. The book is called "Doing the Doing: The Incredible, Improbable Business Journey of Alan McKim and Clean Harbors." Um, tell us a little bit about just the beginnings of the company and how you got it started.
2: Sure. So you know, myself and three other guys uh, started back in 1980, uh, really with a, literally with a truck working out of a garage at my friend's shop and. Uh, we went off to start a business of doing tank cleaning and oil spill cleanup work. And this was really at a time when, you know, the EPA was just starting to be formed and a lot of the regulations around hazardous waste were just starting to be created. And uh, it was a wonderful opportunity for us to be starting out this kind of a business uh, when we did. And, you know, really with $15,000 in capital and a lot of hard work and you know a lot of great people uh, we've been able to build a 5 billion dollar company uh, now with over 20,000 employees and you know so many times people have asked me the story about how it started and why it started and you know how it got to be so successful and so uh, I really wanted to tell the story and um, and I'm really excited about uh, the book and and uh, how it really takes you through the history of all the ups and downs of starting and growing a company like this.
1: So if uh, my history is is correct, that would have been even before, like the Excon, Exxon Valdez incident, correct?
2: Yes, yeah, early on, uh, back in uh, the early 80s where Exxon was 89. and uh, But, you know, all of the events that have taken place around 9-11, uh, the anthrax, uh, you know, uh, issue that we dealt with right after nine eleven. a lot of the work around heart, Hurricane uh, Reader and Katrina, uh, the BP oil spill, the, break, the great oil spill of 2010, uh, the bird flu cleanup, uh, you know, from the avian flu, uh, uh, flu in 2015, and then subsequently even with COVID, doing over 23,000 cleanup responses as part of the COVID uh, pandemic, You know, Clean Harbors really has been involved with every major kind of catastrophic event, uh, including the Exxon Valdez uh, incident. So uh, we have really seen uh, everything you could think of uh, uh, happen in these past 40 years. And our company has, you know, performed uh, some wonderful services for our, our world and society.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. You don't even think about it, you know, because it's all gone by over the course of the last few years. But well, last a whole bunch of years now. But yeah, that's that's really cool. Now, in the book, you also talk about some of the things you've done personally. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things you've done in your personal life as well?
2: Well, I think um, one of the things I realized early on as I became successful is I I wanted to um, you know be involved in charity and and philanthropy, because I I came from real humble beginnings. I didn't have a college degree. Uh, I was so extremely fortunate to, you know, develop uh, the wealth that I have. And so I've been involved heavily in Northeastern University, for example, and uh, supporting that uh, school that ultimately I went back to and got my master's from. But there's been a lot of other, you know, dozens and dozens of charities, both here in Massachusetts, as well as in other areas surrounding where our operations are. Um, so that's something that I've really uh, enjoyed doing. I'm certainly, uh, you know, proud father. I've had four children. I now have 11 grandchildren, which, uh, you know, keeps me busy uh, outside of work. And I'm excited to see them uh, grow and, and, uh, and, and watch them, uh, you know, live in their lives now.
1: So because of the industry you're in, I mean, back then there was no regulation, part of the reason why there were some of those spills we're talking about. Um, how has that had an impact on you and what kind of things have you had to change because of some of the regulations that have come in?
2: You know, it's uh, it's, it's what's driven our growth, actually. These regulations are important for our customers to deal with, um, and so... Uh, a big part of, you know, sort of our success has been helping those a- accounts handle their uh, emergency response work or dealing with the new regulations that might be coming. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we've had a change, too, in regard to how we process waste, for example. Uh, we operate a, a number of incinerators, and uh, we've had to continuously upgrade them to meet the new regulations around air quality to deal with uh, the standards that now uh, are required for any new plants to be built. We've had to upgrade all our plants. Uh, we operate over a hundred hazardous waste treatment plants in North America. And so those regulations have impacted us as well as our customers.
1: Mm, that's amazing. So the company has uh, you know, tens of thousands of employees What's it like to go from just a couple of you to having that many people that are in the company?
2: You know, it's been quite a ride, um, you know, early on, um, you know, the first year in business, we did $600,000 in revenue. And, uh, and like I say, we just wrapped up a, a year with $5 billion in revenue and um, adding employees, uh, bringing on companies through acquisition. We've done about 70 acquisitions. I think going through that transition has been a real learning experience for me in, in regard to how do you run a business first wearing, you know, a dozen hats, how do you let go? How do you bring in people that are smarter than you so that, you know, you can do things that, you know, you're really good at, but you're not good at doing everything. Right. And so having those specialists come in and, and be your partner, I think how to collaborate and, and work together with an organization, particularly one that you've just acquired, uh, I, think, I think that has been an evolution in my life and something that, that I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. So I really feel that learning how to do that and, and how important it was to develop people and, uh, and to letting go and let others you know, take on responsibility has been a big part of our success here. I think it's oftentimes when you're a CEO or you're an entrepreneur, you want to control everything. And I think you have to let go. And if you're going to let your business uh, grow and, uh, and I think that's something I learned early on in the early nineties, to be honest with you, when I first b- brought somebody in from outside the company. And I think it's been a tremendous um, uh, learning experience for all of us.
1: That was going to be what I was going to ask you as is, is... Uh, can you give us some secrets in that whole both learning what you're good at as well as what you're not good at and then letting go of it when you discover that isn't something you should be doing?
2: Sure. Well, I think me personally, I think um, and and even in the book, I kind of had some of the lessons learned that I put in there at the end. But, you know, I think capitalizing the business was so critical for us to uh, we went public in 1987 and uh, that allowed us to tap into the the public equity market, and then subsequently we were able to get public uh, debt as well. Um, and as I, as we went through that $100 million phase, I think it was when we really re- learned that we needed to bring in people from outside to help us grow the business. What I found, you know, was one of the real keys of, of our success is our focus on technology. And it's one of the areas that, that I've spent a tremendous amount of my time on uh, developing proprietary software that really runs what is a very unique business. And, uh, and so I think, um, you know, raising capital, making sure that you have strong technology has really enabled us to acquire other businesses and, and to grow the company quite significantly.
1: So in going through the process of writing your book, Doing the Doing, the incredible improbable business journey of Alan McKim and Clean Harbors. Um, you know, what What was the one thing that kind of was surprising in a good way to you in in creating the book?
2: You know, it took me a couple years uh, working with Steve and, and Eric, uh, who helped me along the way here. And um, I would say that uh, it's been an emotional experience because it brought me back to my childhood and it, it told the story about how improbable it really was for a kid with my background, a blue collar uh, workforce or, or family, I should say, and how we were able to get this business up and running and and tell that story, which was very personable. And I'm not usually one that likes to talk about myself. And and so Being able to share my background and share the story was, was somewhat of an emotional uh, journey for me going through that two year process. But it also, I think gave me an opportunity to speak to the organization that we have and the people that work for the company and the, the things that they do every day, doing the doing is really all about what they do. You know, we handle thousands of emergency responses a year. We handle the majority of the hazardous waste that's generated by, uh, industry and in, in Canada and the U S uh, we are by far the leading company in hazardous waste management and emergency response. And, um, and so as, as I continue to write the book and tell the story, it was, it's just been such an honor to, work with all of the people that do the doing every day. And, and that's, I hope that's the message that comes across when people read the book, because that's certainly the one that, that I wanted to get uh, to share with people.
1: So what advice do you have for people that are just starting out? You know, what, what are the things that you know now that you wish you would have known day one?
2: Well, I bootstrapped this company. And, and so I think, um, I probably would have, uh, you know, I was only 24 and, and I didn't have a college degree. And so I didn't have a really good understanding on the finance side, you know. Um, I would say that, um, you know, properly capitalizing a business and not being afraid to give up some ownership early on might've been uh, something that would have helped in those early years, particularly those first 10 and 15 years uh, although I took the company public seven years after starting it, I didn't sell a lot of shares and raise a lot of money for the company. Um, and so it, it, the good news is, you know, uh, we were able to ha- hold on to the ownership uh, as a percentage, uh, but we really were never that well capitalized in the early days. And so that would be a, a big um, you know, a change that probably I would have made if I could have done it over again is to be better, well capitalized. Uh, and I think also recognizing that you go through these economic cycles, and you've got to be prepared for both the growth phase, as well as the downturns that happen, you know, during recessions, and what have you. And uh, we've gone through many of them. And I, I think, for the most part, have been able to grow through them uh, by being prepared and, and having a good plan. But In the early days uh, certainly those were new experiences for us that we had to challenge ourselves to to survive uh, when we had those bad economic times like in the early 90s here in new england
1: it's interesting that you say that you know because we're probably headed into another recession and some people are wondering how do i do it um you know what's the difference between times when the economy is good and times when the economy is bad Are there any, you know, there are any things that really change in how you approach your business when the economy changes like it is?
2: I think we really stay close to our headcount because uh, personnel and labor costs are our number one expense here at our company um, because we are, uh, uh, you know, our workforce basically drives our revenues every day by going out in the field and performing services on our customer sites. So we really manage our headcount quite closely here on a week-to-week basis. Um, really staying within you know sort of those uh, constraints that we uh, put in place, especially in times when we might see a downturn happening and our billability might start being reduced. I think we also really look at our capital spending and, and try to hold on to our cash even more than we normally would, so that if maybe one of our competitors gets uh, unable to, you know, kind of work through this downturn, maybe there's an opportunity for us to use that cash to acquire one of our one of our competitors. And so I think the company has been opportunistic in taking advantage of companies that haven't done a good job of preparing when these uh, oil crashes happen or these recessions happen. And uh, so we are sitting here very well positioned with You know, $500 million in cash and really in a great, strong financial position to take advantage of a downturn in the market.
1: You say that number so matter of factly. Um, Is it, has it been interesting to go from the place where, you know, a thousand dollar bill was a huge thing to now where you're getting bills for the hundreds of millions of dollars?
2: It is amazing. You know, I remember, I remember driving to the postal uh, lockbox to see if the checks come in to cover payroll. Uh, I remember those days like yesterday. Um, but honestly, I still watch receivables today like I did back then, you know, because, uh, you know, another thing that you have to be concerned about during an economic downturn is customers paying you, And uh, we have a lot of money outstanding. And so uh, we meet on a weekly basis and talk about receivables and days sales outstanding. And, I think some of those fundamental things that you learn when you first start a business on a shoestring, I think you, you carry those every day. I I think you really do. You don't, you don't forget because even though the numbers are bigger, you know, more zeros, they, they, they can be just as impactful on the downside. Uh, So um, watching cash, watching receivables, watching debt, I think having a good, uh, you know, uh, cash position to take advantage of the market is absolutely critical for our success.
1: I love that. The book is called Doing the Doing, The Incredible, Improbable Business Journey of Alan McKim and Clean Harbors. Uh, such an amazingly great book. So many interesting things, both in Alan's life as well as the growth of a business. I think everybody should read it um, if they're interested in business. Alan, before we go, Uh, leave us with some words of encouragement about our business.
2: You know, I think, um, you know, being an entrepreneur uh, has been, you know, the the greatest um, joy uh, in my life and being able to uh, work with people that I've had amazing um, experience with. You know, it's been um, such a pleasure. I never, I have never felt like I've went to work every day and uh, we've just announced that I'm transitioning to executive chairman. I'm not going to be a CEO after 43 years at the end of uh, March. And, but I'm so excited about the company's future. Uh, we have two gentlemen that are going to be co-CEOs, uh, Mike Battles and Eric Kirstenberg, that are now going to take over running the business. And uh, I'm excited about them taking it from $5 billion to $10 billion. And, uh, and I, I see, I see that runway available to them and uh, I'm excited uh, to, to see the next uh, 40 years of the business uh, progress.
1: I love that. Do you get the book, Doing the, Doing the Incredible, Improbable Business Journey of Alan McKim and Clean Harbors? You can get it on Amazon and all the places where books are available. Alan, thanks so much for spending some time with us here today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: What an amazing success story. I know I was inspired. There are so many things that Alan's done in his life and in his business. And I hope they inspired you too as you're living your journey towards becoming and being a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back.
3: with Steve it's proven it's guaranteed it's gonna happen all you have to do is say yes to your destiny
0: welcome back to thriving entrepreneur
1: this is Steve welcome back thanks for listening to thriving entrepreneur today as we talk about your corporation your success Next, I want to bring you an amazing corporate executive who helps people, you know, when things aren't going exactly the way that they should be so that you can get them back on track and really begin to thrive again. With that said, let's jump into it. Join me in welcoming Jenny Blumenthal. Hey, Jenny, how are you doing today?
4: Hey, Steve, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Sure, Um Jenny Blumenthal. I'm the CEO and founder of Corporate Rehab. We're a leadership company that's focused on helping leaders get to the next level without losing themselves in the process. Um, and how I hope I show up in the world is authentically um, without uh, maybe some of the masks or personas that we feel like we need to take on uh, to be accepted. So um, I think that's hopefully a good summary.
1: Love it, yeah, absolutely. And your book is actually named similar to your company, Corporate Rehab: Ditch the Hustle, Culture, and Thrive Again. Tell us a little bit about what the concept of corporate rehab means to you.
4: Yeah, so I um, I wrote the book um, and came up with the concept of corporate rehab really as a means to you know work through some things I was going through as I was trying to figure out what to do next. I had just left corporate America after 20 years as an executive, and uh, it was the middle of the pandemic, um, maybe the first droplets of the Great Resignation, early the early phases. So it was um, October 2020. And um, really the backstory is I was leading, you know, a huge business unit, managing a ton of people, had been climbing this ladder to success. I've got a husband and two kids. um, And basically I was hustling 60 hours a week and then turning on the weekends and hustling on the soccer sidelines on the weekends and starting over again on Monday. And um, I really was approaching burnout um, as we might know it now, which uh, we really didn't have Quite those words at the time back in 2020. And so I decided when I uh, had the pandemic, had some time to really um, just go within because it, we, you know, so much of the world was shut down. I left my job. I figured I would do something different. And my kids were still doing school at the kitchen table for a little while. And so I really just said, maybe this is a great time for me to pause and, and figure out what really kept me in work situations that weren't always good for me, um, how much of that was the situation, um, how much of that was me. And so when I um, would joke with people about what I was doing now, I would jokingly say, I'm, I'm putting myself through my own corporate rehab. And, uh, and it became kind of this, um, you know, joke at first, but more and more people kept asking, well, boy, I feel burned out, or I feel unfulfilled, or, you know, really, what did you do next to kind of heal? And so as I went through. Um, some of my own process, I started sharing um, some of the uh, podcasts and articles and books that I was reading, which to somebody who's running a really full life, it was really overwhelming. And so um, I decided to kind of break that down into a process that other people could repeat and wound up including the stories of 300 other women. And so that's really where corporate rehab came from. And um, now I run a lot of those leaders through that corporate rehab framework to really um as you mentioned the book's title is ditch the hustle culture what i found out is that you know there yes there can be toxic uh situations and and bosses there can be things that we do internally and and really what that root causes is this hustle culture that makes us feel like we need to be running faster and faster and getting value from outside of ourselves as a tu- as opposed to turning into gifts we're given and some of the answers we have within us. And so that's really what the book um, does is tell some of those stories and walks the readers through a process to do just that, start their own corporate rehab.
1: Mm, That's awesome. So where do we even start? You know, I mean, because most successful entrepreneurs are, Uh, you know, driven go-getters that don't know how to sit down and stop ever, you know, like you said, when we're not working, we're out running around with the kids doing something or whatever. How do we even start?
4: Yeah. So um, when I tried to actually put this together and when people would say, well, what do I do? Give me the right podcast or the right thing to listen to. um, I really tried to summarize, um, actually, it was a consultant for 20 years, so I applied more of a consultant We're solving so that we know what the solution is, and when I did that, it became really clear. um, And I wrote down all the steps. And ironically, or magically, or uh, inspired from above, um, the words spelled out the words rehab. So the first phase in the five steps is recognizing uh, your own life story, the context for your values, and some of the decisions that you've made. The second is E, which is evaluate. So your patterns, your habits, your mindsets. Um, And here we we talk a lot about, you know, what's the voice that's kind of running in your head when you make a mistake? Is it shaming you? Is it saying you need to run faster? And just tuning into that to understand, um, you know, what are some of those patterns and those beliefs that keep us running um, on autopilot sometimes in some of our decisions? Um, The next stage is heal. um, That's H. And that really looks across mind, body, and spirit for ways that you can give yourself new mantras or new voices to say when you make a mistake um, or new patterns to take on. And then next comes Arise, where you get to grow and play um, and really experiment with other dimensions of your life that maybe you haven't invested as much in when you're hustling so hard. And the final step is B uh, for Build. And that's really building new dimensions of your life and career, just more in line with some intentional choices um, for how you want to apply your purpose, apply your ambition. And I think you make a great point that entrepreneurs are are hustling almost by definition, and there's nothing wrong with hustle. I think you need hustle if you're trying to start a business, if you're trying to close that next deal. Um, even if you're trying to get, you know, your kids out the door on time for soccer with their shoes on. Um, and a little bit of that in the right measure is, is not a problem in my mind. I think the issue becomes when we get stuck on that gear and when we're within this always on, always productive, everything has to go fast and um, and everything has to be results oriented. I think that's, or Facebook worthy, <laughs> that's where we can get a little bit trapped and just staying on that gear when you're in the hustle culture, as opposed to just looking at that hustle. So, you know, try on different words for you, for any of the entrepreneurs listening, maybe it's you're harnessing your hustle, maybe you're pointing your ambition intentionally. um, But it's really just about getting started with, you know, starting to look at some of not only your values, but your patterns and mindsets um, so that you can start to catch yourself if you're actually running on an old belief that might have gotten you here, but might not serve you moving forward.
1: Ooh, and that's a big one, you know, because once we get stuck in those old beliefs, it's really easy to just stay there because it's comfortable. You know what I mean?
4: Yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact, that's interesting. That's one of the things I get asked about the most when I, um, I'm talking to executives looking to change careers or looking to figure out, you know, their right next step, um, you know, why did I stay so long or what keeps us trapped? And just to your exact point, a lot of times we're stuck in what's familiar, you know, even if it's it's not healthy or good for us, but it's that, you know, it's, it can be, a pattern it can be a voice track in your mind and it's the the thing that we go back to just because um it's easy I actually like to think someone had had mentioned this that it's um you know sometimes our our actual neural pathways in our brain are just like you know ski tracks and fresh powder and once you go down it once you know you you can kind of go any different direction but that hundredth run down that ski track, your brain's automatically going to go right down. Your skis will go right down that, um, that groove. And it's no different a lot of times with our thoughts. If, we're all, if we always say, oh, gosh, I should have gotten that deal or I should have hustled harder, you know, the next time something happens, you're likely um, going to say something similar unless you start to change, you know, the way you speak to yourself um, and some of those mindsets and patterns.
1: Talk to me a little bit more about some of those things that we say to ourselves because we're all so good at being mean to ourselves, you know what I mean?
4: Yes, yes. Um, Well, I find that there's a couple of different ones. Um, There's, and when you actually dig down to the root cause, a lot of times, um, you know, it's these stories that we tell ourselves, and maybe they're not even our own stories. You know, there's something that someone said to us one time that, again, was really useful at that time, but we're letting it play. A, you know, a larger role or, you know, as some people say letting it live rent free in our heads So one of the ones that I hear the most, the root cause is I'm not enough, you know, and it it really comes down, not, not many people would just say, I'm just not enough, but it shows up as, ah, oh, I really should have gotten that promotion. Or, you know, if I were better, I would have, you know, gotten the lead in the play. Or if I were uh, a better mom, I wouldn't have yelled at my kid. I mean, it really can show up a lot of different ways. But if you peel that back, you know, there's some belief underneath that that says, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not uh, the best version of myself. And, and really, that's one that you know, I help a lot of people in my private practice reframe as I'm exactly enough. You know, I was born on this earth being completely enough. I might not have the skill that's actually getting me ahead in the promotion, or I might not have built this knowledge that's helping me figure out how to deal with anger or what have you, or I might just have been tired. There might've been a good reason for it, but that doesn't mean that I'm a bad mom or that I'm not enough as a worker. I just haven't done whatever the thing is yet. And that's really the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset is this word yet. Um, so I think that's one of the ones that I hear the most, it just shows up with uh, It's the root cause, but shows up with a lot of different symptoms in a lot of different ways, Um, and and that's the one that I hear a ton. Um, The other one is there's not enough, and that's really based on a scarcity model. Um, So I better be first in line to you know get to the grocery store checkout, or I I've got to get you know this next promotion because if I don't, the person behind me is gonna you know take that spot Um, as opposed to You know, acting more from an abundance mentality—that there's plenty, there's enough out there, and and if one person gets something, it doesn't take something away from me. Now, in several situations, that's a that's a truth and a reality that if you are, you know, in in a place where there is a scarcity of food or emotion or um, you know safety, you, you know, you're you're acting on a very real set of facts. But often, um, you know, we're walking around, either we were raised by people or we ourselves have been in those situations. And we're carrying that mindset and that mentality long after the threat has passed. And so again, you know, a lot of this, what I, what I wind up speaking about in the book and coaching on is a lot of this actually isn't your fault. Um, it's pre-programming that's part of Either, you know, where you were raised or an experience you had throughout your life or some sort of, you know, um, good natured, um, healthy uh, suggestion someone gave you that has now, you know, it served its purpose and it's time to set it down. And I'll give you an example from the there's not enough piece, Um, I was raised in in part by uh, a grandmother. I was raised by my parents, but my grandmother played a big role in our lives and we'd visit her every summer and she was kind of larger than life. And she grew up in the depression um, in rural Western Maryland, where there really was a scarcity of meat and food and, um, you know, and uh, enoughness. And so, um, you know, she raised her son, my dad, and us, with this perspective of, you know, you really want to take care of your family, and if you achieve, and you go out there, and you, you know, get the job, and do all the things that will, you know, help you achieve, and that's very true um, for surviving, um, you know, the the depression. I think what it might not give you is the perfect recipe for how to thrive, and as you talk about thriving entrepreneurs. There's a whole other playbook of how do you actually, you know, use all of those great skill sets that help you survive the scrappiness, the hunger, the grit, the ambition, but point them towards the things that you intentionally know are, um, you know, are more purposeful, or how do you know when that muscle has been overused and you really need to shift into rest um, and give yourself a bit of a break that you've achieved enough or that you've done enough for the day. Um, and it's time to to clock out. So I think there's those are some of the things that I hear often in the stories that we tell ourselves. I'm not enough, there's not enough. And both of those things feed the hustle culture that you just must need to run faster or the answer's right around the corner. And if I can just keep my head down, maybe next week will be easier um, as opposed to stopping and, and really looking at what's going on you know, within yourself.
1: Mm, I love that. So let's um I mean an obvious a person needs to get corporate rehab ditch the hustle culture and thrive again but for the people that are listening right now what is something that they could do right now immediately that would begin to help them rehab themselves
4: Yeah I think the the first piece is definitely listen to those stories um, and pay attention not only to what's going on in your mind when you make a mistake, but what happens in your body. Um, I think there's an interesting correlation between all of the things we tell ourselves, or the stress that we're constantly surrounded by on a daily basis. And and in these the the book, when I uh, did the research, there were you know 300 women were telling me their stories, and there was just. At one after the other, well, I didn't know if anything was wrong, but then my hair started falling out, but I still didn't understand that that was my job, or there was this tightness in my chest every time my boss would yell at me. Um, I think uh, often we have these answers, or at least some clues as to what's going on within ourselves, if we just get still enough to listen. And so right now, if you're out there listening, I would just encourage you just to give yourself a few minutes every day to just stop. And let the dust settle and just listen to what's going on within you. Um, The nice thing is we have a lot of these answers within ourselves. um, If we can just, you know, get quiet a little bit and see which ones are, are speaking the loudest.
1: Well, again, I do encourage people to get your book. But for somebody who wants to go even deeper with you, how can they work with you?
4: Sure. So I do uh, executive coaching, both for individuals and for teams. And the best place to go is my website, which is www.corporate-rehab.com. We've got all kinds of fun events coming up with the book launch, and then also some free worksheets and things that people can pull down to get started on their own rehab today.
1: Do you get corporate rehab, ditch the hustle culture and thrive again? By Jenny Blumenthal. And Jenny, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today.
4: Thanks so much, Steve. It was great to be here.
1: I hope that help and advice will help you be able to rehab and go back to thriving as an entrepreneur. Let's take our next commercial break.
3: with Steve it's proven it's guaranteed it's gonna happen all you have to do is say yes to your destiny
0: welcome back to thriving entrepreneur
1: this is Steve
0: welcome back all right one more guest for
1: us today to talk about your corporation your success let's talk with an entrepreneur who had an amazing idea and is now building it into one of the fastest growing corporations there is let's talk to him join me in welcoming rick elmore hey rick how you doing today
5: great thanks for having me steve
1: it's great to have you here with us tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world
5: yeah so uh, my background is actually in uh, collegiate and professional athletics played for the university of arizona um, back in 2006 to 10, and then was drafted into the NFL um, in 2011. Was pretty lucky um, to live out my childhood dream, play three years in the NFL, and then when I got done, I got into medical device sales, like a lot of ex-professional athletes do. Um, after six years, uh, I was either you know top one percent or top five reps in the company. I was um, you know just an overachiever, tried really hard. Um, but I was still looking for something more. Um, I went back into my uh, MBA in 2017, and then that's where the idea for Simply Noted began. And what Simply Noted is, it's a handwritten notes platform and allows companies and individuals to automate and scale sending real handwritten notes um, in the same amount of time it takes for them to send a quick text or email. So yeah, fast forward four years from um, the founding of that, are simply noted. We have 11 full-time employees. We're going to make the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies this this uh, this year. We've developed our own handwriting uh, AI technology. Um, we're going to have six patents, three design, three utility. So yeah, it's been a pretty crazy wild ride since 2010.
1: That is so cool. So um, how does it work? You know, does a person type in what they want to say do they talk in what they want to say how do they um you know tell me the whole process how does it work yeah
5: well really what we want to do is automate it for you so we usually work with you know you know sales executives or marketing executives from large you know corporate institutions nonprofits, political parties and help them automate it based off of triggers so if you think like new clients You want to send them a quick thank you note, build that relationship because building better relationships, you know, increases the lifetime value of a client, um, a donor, you know, a customer or just engaging them in a new way to re-engage them and get them, um, I guess, re-engaged back in your company or business. So we try to automate it, but it's super simple. You know, you can go to our website, simplynoted.com, quickly type in a message, select your card, put in a, a mailing address and check out. Or what's super simple is if you have a a spreadsheet, like an Excel or CSV file with all names and addresses, it's just like mail merge or inserting variables. So it's like, hi, first name, you know, we love working with your company and then we'll insert first name and company into that message. So you can create, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of personalized, genuine pen, written notes in seconds, as long as you just have their names and addresses in an Excel or CSV file. So we've really tried to create a platform to make it easy to use and make it as easy as possible to scale it.
1: So two questions, um, and I don't know which order I should ask them, but we'll just go for it. Um, number one is, uh, do you have any research to show How effective the personalized yet, from the way you're describing it, kind of generic to five or 10 or 1,000 or whatever clients, notes like that, how effective is that?
5: Well, we always try to um, consult our clients that use us for relationship-driven purposes. A handwritten note has a 99% open rate. Um, so that means 99 out of 100 of the notes you send will be opened, which is remarkably high when you compare it to other forms of sales and marketing tools like email, cold calling, door knocking, um, which is you know, super low and marginal. Um, you know, just a, improving the relationship with a current client. Just if you can retain your clients and improve that retention rate by five percent, there's a study by American Express done that shows that just simply improving your client retention rate by 5% will increase your yearly or year over year profits by 25 to 95%. So, which is really easy to do if you think about it, you know, if you just retain five more clients out of every hundred clients you have, your, your margin or your, your sales year over year are going to increase 25 to 95%, which is pretty remarkable. Um, Also, clients who feel appreciated are five times more likely to make repeat purchases, so the lifetime value increases. Um, They're five times more likely to forgive a mistake. So, you know, you miss a meeting, or there's a problem with the product that they purchase, or the service that you provide, they're more likely to forgive you. Um, They're four times more likely to make a referral. So, if your customers feel you know appreciated, they're going to want to refer their friends and family. And then they're seven times more likely to try a new offering versus trying to sell a new client. So by simply improving the relationships with your clients, I mean, there's just a whole host of benefits that are going to come with that. Also, lastly, um, which is a, a pretty, um, staggering stat and this is again, an American express uh, done study, but, um, you know, clients who don't feel appreciated, um, of your clients who don't feel appreciated will, you know, try one of your competitors or buy a different product or offering, you know, from one of your competitors simply just because they want to try something new. So if you think about that, you know, you're losing a third of your clients, you know, year over year by simply not making them feel appreciated. So, um, and it's really simple to do, you know, it's either pick up the phone, call them, send them a handwritten note, connect with them in a personal way. You know, if it's meeting, you know, if you're insurance you're meeting them for lunch if you're in real estate you're meeting them at an open house you know there's a tons of ways to build uh relationships with your clients but we try to make it you know as easy as possible and as scalable as possible you know through the power of our robotic handwriting machines
1: love that so um when it comes to the handwriting you said you put a lot of work into the AI and stuff like that um How, I mean, because some of us have used like uh, the different fill in the blank, um, you know, things for real estate and stuff like that. How effective is it and how close can you get to a person's real writing?
5: Yeah, so that was part of the reason why we've actually built our own handwriting robots so we can have full control over the software and the handwriting engine. There are a couple off-the-shelf solutions. You know, we were guilty of using them, you know, in the early days because it was what was available, Um, pen plotters and auto pens. But we quickly figured out that it was not going to be a scalable solution and the best solution um, because they're very restricted software-wise and the abilities they have in their handwriting engines. So two years ago, we kicked off our project. We've invested over $850,000 100% 100% own our IP from the ground up. We don't leverage any off the shelf um, systems besides like basic components like motors or or um, lead screws, that type of stuff. But our handwriting engine um, allows our users to create the most realistic handwriting styles. And I could talk an hour about, you know, you know why it's important to have a, an infinitely flexible handwriting engine, but we don't just simply does, you know, take your A and convert your A, take your B, convert your B. Um, you know, we program um, our handwriting engines completely unlimited. So if you want a hundred A's, we can do that. We take into consideration your ligature styles. So what what is uh, two T's next to each other look like versus one T, you know, what's an E in the middle of a word look like compared to an E at the beginning or the end. Um, we use a, a glyph manipulation AI, which if you think of you know, what a TTF or an OTF font file is, it's just a bunch of glyphs. But our AI actually um, manipulates, shifts, stretches, changes size, and actually makes sure every time it writes, it's changing it and writing it differently. So there's been a lot of <laughs> research and development that's gone into this to ensure that what we are putting in the mail for our clients is the best possible product out there. Um, there's just nothing else on the market that has the flexibility um, as our technology does to allow you our customers to do that.
1: And I think you might've said, but, and I apologize, but so do we start with, you know, like a sample of my writing that you are doing? Is it that customized or is it just kind of computer driven?
5: Great, great question. So we have 30, uh, 31 available options on our website, which most people use. Um, You know, public figures, politicians, presidents, um, you know, large corporations who, you know, have larger budgets, you know, we can create your handwriting style if you'd like, but um, we've created some really awesome handwriting styles that most people just choose from, um, that they can simply just like, oh, I like that one, select it, type in it, and then we'll write everything out for them. But yeah, we have the ability to convert and use your handwriting, but most companies just use our most individuals just use what we have um, provided. Mm, Since that makes no a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. That totally makes a lot of sense. Because um, I was wondering about that, you know, because I mean, the flip side to it is all of us have also ran into the problem of we don't remember how to write anymore, you know?
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a real thing.
1: I've I've teased several times that, you know, when you're signing the little thing at the bank, that everybody should just go back to signing things with an X, <laughs> you I know, because it's totally illegible.
5: <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just, you know, I grew up, you know, without a cell phone. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 17. So I was a part of probably the last generation of who still wrote their friends handwritten notes, you know, and passed them back and forth within class, um, you know, so. Yeah, I think uh, my kids are starting to go through school. They're not old enough yet, but I don't even think they teach cursive in hand, uh, in school anymore. It's just like, it's not a thing anymore.
1: So I know you work with a lot of bigger businesses, but for the small business that wants to have that level of touch, um, is it affordable? Is it something that they could do even just as a one person kind of a business?
5: Oh, of course, um, our website, simplynoted.com, Allows anybody to go on there, and um, you can even send your first card for free by just signing up. But yeah, you can send just one handwritten card, and that's a, a handwritten envelope, a handwritten card, a real forever stamp. We put no, no branding on it whatsoever, so um, your recipient will never know you use a service. So, yeah, we definitely service the full spectrum. You know, from single one-off card orders to large, you know, enterprise companies that need. You know integrations to automate it or do like you know like right now we're in the holidays it's our busiest time of the year, um you know and they you know send forty thousand cards fifty thousand cards you know even one hundred twenty thousand you know it's like these big companies who want to engage their clients or their employees on a personal level we can help them do that.
1: I'm looking at your website here. I just I, I really love all of the stuff here. Really, you know, but um so. Typically speaking of when a person does this first one, um, how long of a note is it? Is it like three by five card size or?
5: Oh, yeah, it's a five by seven. That's standard. Um, it's just with the studies that we've seen, those are the highest open rates. Plus, it sticks out in, in a, a stack of mail, you know, versus the number 10 bills that you see all the time. Um, and, you know, it just looks like a really nice, you know, piece of mail. Um, we use thick, luxurious cardstock, really nice high end envelopes. I mean, it's a really nice service. Um, but yeah, that's that was the purpose of choosing that standard size. If there's companies that want, you know, one off projects, our machines are really flexible, we can write on anything from a three by three all the way up to a 10 by 13. So we do custom campaigns or custom projects um, for some clients, but our standard definitely is a, a A7 envelope with a five by seven insert uh, stationary piece of stationery.
1: Perfect. Um, and because you brought up the holidays, do you do um, specifically like Christmas cards for people?
5: Yeah. Yeah. So we do about 40% of our revenue right now um, in November, December, and the lion's share of that is like holiday. Yeah,
1: And do people do pictures then on that other side or are they? Yeah, it's
5: completely, completely, um, it's completely customizable. So if you think about it, you know, our website's good for just like standard, like if you don't want to think about it, you go on there, select a card. But when we work with companies, it's a blank piece of paper. You know, they give us their design, their art file. We create a really nice, beautiful piece of stationery that we can write on in-house here we run our own printing press um which is really i mean it's a really amazing piece of equipment we can do uh um, high-end in-house printing on demand so we can print edge to edge full bleed um, on our printing press and then from the printing press we put them in our handwriting robots so we help them with the design, we print it in-house, then we run the stationary through our handwriting robots. After they've gone through our handwriting robots, they're hand checked. So a person will actually hand quality control them to make sure they look great. Then we hand insert them into the envelope, put a stamp on it and get it in the mail for you.
1: Okay, so somebody that's using one of the many, uh, email programs for their email list, Mm -hmm. um, the CSV file, Um, that a person can download from that, they could send that to you and you could use that for the mail merge for them then sending out Christmas cards to everybody on their list?
5: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it can be as simple as that. Absolutely.
1: I'm just trying to work here for you to get you a bunch of people on my list
5: to to use your service this this Christmas. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah, it's really, it can be as simple as you want by just literally sending us your mailing list and then we can take care of everything. Or, you know, for our enterprise business, like large corporate clients, if you want some complicated workflow within your, your marketing stack or within your software, we can do that as well. But majority of our clients, they either, you know, they're sending one offs or they're we're doing projects um, for them and we just make it as simple as possible. It's just usually uh we try to we try to tell them don't get caught in the weeds. Like if this is something you want to do, we'll make sure it's as easy as possible. Just let us know.
1: So Rick, explain to us again how a person can try you out for the first time.
5: They can just go to simplynota.com sign up. First card is free. Um, also, a great thing uh, that we like to do, if we were on video right now, I'd show you our sample kit. But we send a really nice 10, 10 by 13 sample kit with a bunch of handwriting samples, flyers, case studies, some more information on the services that we provide. So we truly believe... Um, and the power of our product. And once you get it in your hands, you'll just see and feel the quality. So we like to get that sample kit out and you can request that at our website. Just go to simplynoted.com, go to our business page and uh, just fill in the little, you know, request a sample kit. It's right there at the top of the page. So yeah, sign in, get your first card free or request a free sample kit on our website. And we're happy to send you, you know, um, some samples so you can see how great this service is.
1: Mm, I love it. Um, I do encourage everybody to go to simplynoted.com. Rick, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today.
5: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate
1: it. You have this dream, this vision of what your business is going to be. You start it, you nurture it, you grow it. And maybe like Alan's, maybe it becomes a multi-billion dollar company. Maybe you're in the startup phase, or maybe you need a little bit of corporate rehab. Whatever you may be in your corporation's growth, there is so much success ahead for you because you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. And the world so needs you. We're so grateful for you doing exactly what it is that you were meant to, born to do in this world. And I applaud you on behalf of the whole of the universe for showing up and being you in your corporation and your success as you live as a thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again, I hope you have a great, amazing week.
0: Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time.